Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Reset contributor Karen Weigert joins us on occasion as your guide through her world of sustainability and the environment. She's also vice president at Chicago-based Slipstream, that's a clean energy innovation nonprofit. Today, she's brought Anna Garcia Doyle to our studios. Anna is the founder and executive director of the One Earth Film Festival, which runs through March 15th. Karen, Anna, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. So, Karen, you have a personal connection to this festival. Explain what, what's going on here. I was a producer and writer on a documentary film called Carbonation, and it was all about solutions to climate change. And uh, when you make a film, it's an incredible experience to make it, but what you really want is an audience. And so the idea that there actually is this film festival here in Chicago, based here, was an incredible one. And uh, later when I was in the mayor's office, I created a partnership where every year on Earth Day, the city shows one of the films from the One Earth Film Festival. How do you think films can help people think differently about the environment and sustainability? There's something just different about a film where you can live it, you can experience it. And it's not just a headline. It's not just a concept. You can really see what the challenges are today from another person's perspective, what life is actually like. But you can also then imagine the possibilities of the solutions. You can start to see a future that doesn't exist today. And so there's something about the humanity behind the headlines that film can do like nothing else. Mm-hmm. Anna, give us a, a quick history on the festival and why you started it. Sure. Thanks, Jen. So I was part of a founding team back in 2012. We started this to get beyond the choir. That was really the reason. You know, every time I'm in a place and I ask people, have you ever been changed by a film? No matter the topic, raise your hand. We always get tons of hand raises, right? And so it was one thing for a tool for us to use to get beyond the choir. Everybody likes movies. And if you hated it, it was 90 minutes of your life, right? (laughs) So that's really why we founded it. We founded it in 2012. It started in the Oak Park and River Forest community. It expanded very quickly beyond that. And now we're in five counties of the Chicago region. Um, We have 48 events on our schedule this season. And where can people see the films? Oh, people can see the films everywhere. We're in Lake County, we're in DuPage and Kane Counties, Calumet over in Indiana, but we're also at museums and public libraries and schools, universities, um, the Cultural Center. So we're very excited about some really great new venues this year as well. Well, this year's festival has a specific focus. Tell us about that. Sure. So the theme of this year's festival is the power of we. And we really felt that that spoke towards the kind of collective action that we really need to take now to get us to where we need to go on the climate crisis. But it also speaks to all of the intersections that have to do with the environment, right? And that is everything from women's rights. And we have some films by women directors and specifically focused on women's stories. Um, But it also is intersected with the global youth climate movement, which we know is growing. And also, with racial justice, racial and social justice. And so this power of we, we think, is a really apt moniker for collective action and all those intersections and that it's going to take all of us. And we're very especially excited about the opportunities that some of the films um, will bring us to have the kinds of discussions we need to have on just these kinds of topics, most especially, I would say, racial and social justice. Well, one festival film that captures this year's theme is Cooked, Survival by Zip Cold, and it chronicles the tragic 1995 Chicago heat wave that led to more than 700 deaths. Here's a clip. I walked into the room and I saw my grandmother lying across the bed, face up. I looked over at the window and it was nailed shut. Sexiness for the news media was it was about the heat, but The real story is, why were people in these neighborhoods dying? People weren't dying 
on the north side, people weren't dying in the Gold Coast. People were dying on the south and west sides. The minute you see their refrigerator trucks, that means there's so many dead bodies that the coroner doesn't have room for them anymore. That's enough. With us to discuss the film is Fennell Doramus. She's a Chicago-based documentary filmmaker and producer of Cooked. The film screens March 7th and 8th at the One Earth Film Festival. Fennell, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So take us back to July 1995. What do you remember? Uh, well, that was a perfect clip for me to answer this question because I really was one of the lucky ones. I lived on the north side of Chicago. I didn't have air conditioning, but you know, I had access to grocery stores that had air conditioning. I went to see a lot of movies with my friends. For us, it was kind of an exercise in trying to stay cool. I never really felt like my life was threatened. And I remember the heat wave getting very real when I started to see the images of the refrigerated trucks lining up outside the morgue to hold the overflow of of dead bodies. Um, And honestly, I didn't know the number of heat deaths was as high as it was until I started working on this film over a decade later. Looking back on the heat wave and and thinking about where we are right now in conversations about sustainability and about climate change, what are the lessons we haven't learned? There's a lot. (laughs) I mean, you know, the city of Chicago certainly learned that heat could be deadly. And public messaging is critical to saving lives. And they really understand that. But what we as a nation haven't learned is that these environmental disasters, which are happening at increasingly higher rates, always disproportionately affect people of color and those living in poverty. And the more we pour our money into traditional disaster relief, the big shiny trucks, the -the over-the-top preparedness exercises for a tornado or an earthquake that may or may not happen, you know, we're missing opportunities to address the ongoing public health crisis that is a disaster, you know, every day, all the time. Doing this film, having lived through the heat wave, and then going back and and documenting what happened, how did it change the way you thought about what was happening in 1995? I, really more than anything, was sort of perplexed at why the city was not addressing the heat in a very honest way. Um, You know, the mayor was saying initially, it's hot, we deal with it, we're a city of extremes, Um, you know, and kind of being sort of jokey. The news was following suit. Um, I don't know if this ever happened, but I know there were newscasters who debated, you know, how they should cover the story. Should we fry eggs on the sidewalk and make jokes about it? Um, and, you know, for me, I, I think more than anything, I'm really starting to sort of look beyond the headlines and, and, you know, what is the real story going on? I think that that was sort of my takeaway. That's Fennell Doramus, producer of the documentary Cooked Survival by Zip Code, showing at this year's One Earth Film Festival. Fennell, thank you. Thank you. And why was this an important film to include in the festival this year? Yeah, echoing uh, Fennell's comments, I think it's really important for us to think about, you know, as we face the growing threats of the climate crisis, um, we will all be visited by those threats. And that we know that there are frontline communities, communities of color, low-income communities, who will feel these effects disproportionately. And we thought it was really important to show that people working on racial and social justice issues were also working on the same issues that environmentalists are working on. And I think bringing those factions together is important. Well, one of the things the festival will celebrate is youth activism in this space through one film in particular. Tell us about it. 
We have a Young Filmmakers Contest, which is now in its eighth year, and it is growing by leaps and bounds. Um, We have filmmakers coming in from all over the country, young ones, starting tomorrow for our festival to show their films and to share their really unique perspective. You know, it's really their world now. They are, are, I don't even want to say emerging leaders. They are leading in many ways on this. And so um, we're really proud that they want to be a part of some of the work that we're doing and that they will be here with us to share um, their stories. Well, one of those youth films is called Tossed Waste and Recycling Quiz. Let's listen to a clip. Welcome to Tossed, an interactive video quiz testing your knowledge of the waste stream. We're going to take a look at some common waste items, and you'll have to decide where to toss it. Landfill, mixed recycling, paper recycling, or compost bin. Let's get to it. After finishing off a plastic bottle drink, you're left with the choice of how to get rid of it. So where does it go? Choose from one of the answers that appear on your screen. Does it go here? Here? Uh. Uh. Nah. Oh. You got it. That's from the film Tossed Waste and Recycling Quiz. Patrick Thomas Keene is a digital media creator, Columbia College student, and creator of Tossed. It's screening at the One Earth Film Festival on March 7th and 14th. And Patrick joins us now. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So explain a little bit more about the film's structure and why you think it would be impactful to approach it this way. Right. So Tossed is an interactive, clickable, choose-your-own-adventure-style quiz In the quiz, you are presented with common waste items such as the plastic bottle and such as your food scraps. And in order to move forward, you have to select the correct option to test your knowledge and test your skill set of the waste stream. If you choose an option that is less than the correct uh, method, it's okay. It says that it's an opportunity to learn from your decisions uh, and bring the choice into the the player's method. What's been the response to uh, the experience so far? Well, the narrative is one that you don't just watch. It's not one that you sit back and and deal with. It's one that you actively participate in and shape the outcome of. Players conclude with better awareness of the waste stream. And through that, the analytics also show within the piece that the completion rate rivals that of a of a film that is otherwise a linear structure, a linear story structure. I think the personal involvement of environmentalism really echoes the participation that is demanded of the current uh, generation of environmentalists and of the youth climate movement, uh, where your individual actions do have an effect on the waste stream and they do have an, an an effect to create tangible change. How much research did you have to do uh, to figure out how to put this together? Because I think there's a ton of confusion about how we recycle, what we can recycle, where our food scraps should go. How much did you have to dig into that? Right. And part of this process for me was being, first of all, uh, having the introduction to waste and recycling and not knowing a lot about that when I initially began this. I come from the media-making world and wanted to use this project as an introduction to understanding my own uh, experience with environmentalism and with waste and recycling. And so in order to do that, the research was profound, learning about different legislation that is involved with our waste and recycling habits uh, and different movements that have happened throughout history um, and happened throughout contemporary times to engage in better waste 
and recycling habits. That's Patrick Thomas King, creator of the interactive film Tossed Waste and Recycling Quiz. It's showing at the One Earth Film Festival on March 7th and 14th. And I should mention here that my husband's company is a supporter of the film festival. But Karen Weigert, our sustainability contributor, actually brought the film festival to us. You know, and I'm, I'm listening to Patrick there and... It brings me back to that question about how this film festival can help us all better understand the individual role we play in creating a sustainable environment. I think sometimes understanding the individual role that we play can be um, overwhelming for people and also feel like not enough. Like, if I don't do this, it'll all fall apart. But if I do this one thing, what will it matter? You know, like both are true in a way for people at the same time. But I think that if we think about all of our individual actions being part of that collective that I talked about earlier, which is that power of we, that there really is power in the we. And we really believe that. Uh, It's not just a slogan. So, yeah, I think people know they can take individual actions and sometimes don't because they feel like it won't be enough. But you know, every opportunity that we have to get everybody on board, we, you know, we believe we can tip this. This is why we do this work. That's Anna Garcia Doyle, creator of the One Earth Film Festival. And as I said, a lot of us come out of these experiences wondering what's being done to halt the damage of waste pollution, plastic being a main example, and what we can do. For some answers, let's turn to Andrea Dedsham. She's Senior Director of Conservation Policy and Advocacy at the Shedd Aquarium, and she's working on this issue at the local, national, and global global level. Andrea, welcome to Reset. Well, thank you for having me. So how pervasive is plastic pollution, specifically in the Great Lakes? It's actually quite an astonishingly um, pervasive problem. We know that 22 million pounds uh, of plastic trash end up in the Great Lakes each year, 11 million just in the beautiful Great Lakes that you're right next to of Lake Michigan. We've also learned that it's not just in our lakes, but also in our local rivers. Um, Our colleagues at uh, Illinois State University just in January uh, published a study showing uh, that fish in the Midwestern rivers, including in Illinois, that all of the fish that they examined, 100% of the fish were found with microplastics in it, a really substantial concern. Um, we also know, obviously, in the oceans it's also a big challenge, but I oft- often we don't talk enough about its uh, prevalence in the, in the Great Lakes. And one last thing I just want to note is we've been also learning about how much is being consumed by humans itself. And a recent study um, estimated that a credit card worth of plastic may be consumed every year by, uh, by humans in the United States. So that's, that's a significant issue, especially for those of us who are getting our fresh water out of the Great Lakes. Well, you mentioned microplastics. And I think people would automatically think about those tiny beads that may be in a, oh, right. in a face scrub or something. But, but it's something different. Explain exactly what it is. Absolutely. Um, micro is just the size. So when we're talking about micro or nanoplastics, it begins as a whole, uh, your plastic water bottle, and it slowly disintegrates. And as it's disintegrating, it's getting smaller and smaller. And micro and nano just simply um, are references to the sizes. And so when scientists are reporting on studies and talking about microplastics, they're just simply talking about the size of the plastic as it's um, becoming smaller and smaller. The concern for that is that uh, wildlife and humans can begin to consume it. And it's also concerning what kind of impact it might have on our biology and our health. What is happening at the policy level, both for the city and the state, when it comes to addressing this issue of plastics in the Great Lakes? 
we're really excited to be able to see coordinated efforts um, at the city and at the state level. At the uh, city of Chicago, earlier this year, a bill was introduced uh, to reduce the use of the worst and the most polluting uh, single-use plastics to move people towards uh, serviceware that is upon request rather than being given every time that you come, and that we eliminate polystyrene, which is styrofoam, which is really not only um, damaging in its production, it's also damaging as it, as it is, uh, ends up in our lakes and rivers. A similar uh, suite of bills have been introduced just last month in the state of Illinois addressing polystyrene, uh, single-use plastic, but also purchasing. Uh, one of the interesting things that we can do is reduce the amount we purchase the items, so we reduce the upstream effects. So less we buy, less we have to deal with as waste. So there's a great bill that is by uh, Senator Bush, Melinda Bush, who's encouraging the state of Illinois to reduce how much plastic it's purchasing, which is very similar to what we've done at Shed to reduce the amount of plastic we've been um, buying and then thereby reducing the amount of plastic waste there is in the, in the environment. Just really quickly, in our individual lives day to day, what are just some, some key decisions we can make to help reduce plastic pollution? I really want to echo what Anna was saying about collective action and the power of we. It's these all of these pieces are actually part of a whole. So as individuals, when we um, make different choices, when we choose if to use our reusable water bottle, and reuse is really the, one of the best things we can do versus buying a plastic water bottle. But if we do buy something in a can, that we buy it in a can, and that we move markets forward by supporting businesses that um, have sustainable practices, we and telling them we thank them for that, then we're moving the practice forward, and we're encouraging businesses to change. And when we encourage businesses to change, we change marketplaces. And when we change marketplaces, we have the opportunity at the policy level to um, make those kind of changes happen across the board and then have even greater impacts. So it's really all of us together walking down this road that can make a difference. That's Andrea Desham. She's Senior Director of Conservation Policy and Advocacy at the Shedd Aquarium. If you want to learn more about the work the Shedd Aquarium is doing in this space, head over to sheddaquarium.org slash plastic. Andrea, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having me today. And we've been hearing a bit of what's waiting for you at this year's One Earth Film Festival, running March 6th through the 15th. And you can find more info at their website, oneearthfilmfest.org. Anna Garcia-Doyle, founder and executive director of the festival, joined us today. Anna, thanks. Thank you. And we also heard from Karen Weigert. She's Reset Sustainability Contributor and Vice President at Chicago-based Slipstream. Karen, it's always great to have you on. Thanks so much. And that's today's Reset. Hey, if you like what you hear, do us a favor. Take 10 seconds and give us a rating on your podcast app. It really helps other people find us. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Let's talk again soon.